to Stray Theatre, Radio Boise's program for all things literary, performative, and dramatic, going on right here in the Treasure Valley. Today on Stray Theatre, we feature bouncer stories, tales of unlikely people providing muscle for night spots in downtown Boise. This episode was recorded live as part of Storyfort 2017 and features Ambrose Richardson and Samantha Sturman at 10th Street Station, March 22nd. Enjoy. Storyteller tonight is going to be Ambrose Richardson, who I've known for a long time, since I first moved to Boise. Um, and yeah, living in the Jones apartment buildings just down 10th Street, and I now live again on 10th Street. And I get my hair cut on 10th Street, and I get my drinking on 10th Street, and my banking on 10th Street. So I'm on the street a lot. But yeah, it was just, um, that was in the late 90s, and just, he worked at the Neurolux at the time. He's going to talk about his time working at the door there. And Yes, your girlfriend, now wife, lived downstairs for me. And you know, later I found out that I just clumped along way too loud upstairs like an elephant. But uh, I didn't think about it at the time. So anyway, he's been someone I've known for a long time and a big part of this community. And um, took his first real bar job, I guess, at the Neurolux. This when he turned 21. He's going to come up here and tell you all about that and that experience. So here we go, Ambrose. Oh. Mine's going to be a part history lesson. Um... In October 1993, when Neurolux first opened, um, I wasn't of age to go to bars yet. I was still pushing 20 at that point. And so I don't remember if Alan asked me if I wanted to start working there, Alan Ireland, or if I bugged him until he let me. But I would have done it for free because I wanted to see all the great bands that were playing there and at that time music was such a big part of my life. I was working at the record exchange, I was trying to be in bands, um, playing music and being at Neurolux a lot. I was, I would have stood outside anyways, so might as well work there, right? Uh, I was probably the most unlikely doorman you've ever seen. 19 years old, scrawny, um, no training whatsoever. Uh, I think Frank, the older doorman that worked there, told me his one advice was uh, if people have crow's feet, they're probably 30, so you don't have to cart them. <laughs> that was the sage advice that I got, and that was about it. Uh, I really didn't know what I was doing, and fortunately, it wasn't very busy back then, and that wasn't really a big problem. My main job was to make sure that people my age didn't get in. So it's kind of like, you know, a traitor to my my people. Um, in 1993, there was, Neurolux was on the outskirts of um, the downtown bar scene. There wasn't really anything in that area. There was no Acme, there was or Atlas, there was no Owyhee. There, you know, most of the action was still down at 6th and Main. And uh, because of that, it was kind of a destination. People didn't just wander in. When they did, they were kind of odd, but um, there were very few, very few problems. Most people were, wanted to be there and liked the other people who were there. So we didn't deal with a lot of the stuff that they dealt with down at 6th and Main. Um, and this was good because the way it was set up back then is before the expansion where the whole pool room is in Neuralux, um, you walked in and the sound booth was right there in the front part of the sound booth um, I called it Frank's Perch because Frank Kasarich was the original doorman and it was kind of built for him 
it was up above and he just kind of sat there and did his thing and if anybody wanted to just bum rush and just walk right in you couldn't really get to him very easily so thankfully that didn't happen very much we didn't have that kind of crowd uh cover was usually like three dollars a show um most of the bands were local back then if it was a touring band it'd be like five dollars and it was just trying to shake people down so they would pay the three dollars and you know that was the price of an only stubby so for some people that was a pretty big decision on whether or not they wanted to pay that cover or not um i got paid like 25 dollars a night and uh i was happy to get it but um there were nights i wasn't sure i was gonna get that from that door because it was just so slow I uh, hadn't really gotten to the point where it is now where it's really a place to be and it's always busy there even during the day. I was really boring a lot. Did a lot of crosswords. <laughs> read a lot of the uh, 40 and times. Um, and listened to a lot of really great music. Um, there were certain individuals that I tried to discourage from coming in. Um, a lot of the downtown characters. I don't know if anybody knows Stu. He was a colorful guy that um, anybody worked at Mulligans or basically anybody in the downtown area knew who Stu was. And you didn't want Stu drinking at your place. He, he uh, didn't take very good care of himself and he usually left a mess when he left. So it was not good. Uh, Caterpillar Bill was another guy. Nice guy, but he was pretty smart. <laughs> until he had that first beer. And as soon as he had that first beer, he'd lose his shirt, and he had about shoulder length hair, and he'd turn into this peace sign throwing guy who talked about Caterpillar tractors, which is why they call him Caterpillar Bill. And you would see him walking all around, mainly up and down State Street, and he would, one time I saw him way out on Floating Feather, I think that's where he lived, and he'd walk up and down State Street, at least he wasn't driving. And like I said, if you talk to him before that first beer, he can have a conversation, he was very intelligent, but that first beer sent him to La La Land, and it was all about Caterpillar tractors. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we'd usually persuade him to, you know, not hang out at Norlux. Oh, we've got a cover tonight. And that would persuade him, because, you know, it came down to that choice. Do I want an Oli Stubby? Do I want to pay the cover? Um... I wasn't a big guy, never have been, so if there was somebody that I didn't think would, you know, if they looked like trouble, I would use my persuasive powers to get them to not come in. Uh, sometimes I'd maybe lie about the cover. Oh yeah, it's 15 bucks tonight. Got a big band coming through. You know, and that usually worked. The power of bullshit is pretty impressive. Um, my main thing was make sure everybody had an ID. And, you know, I didn't really, as long as it was passable, I didn't really care. I didn't look too closely, but, you know, if the dates looked right, hair color, eyes, pretty okay with that. And that usually worked for me. Uh, police showed up once in a blue moon, but not too often. Because once again, we were on the perimeter. We weren't in the busy area of downtown. I uh, pissed off a few celebrities. Um, one time G-Love and Special Sauce were playing at the Balcony Club, and after the show they wanted to come down to the Neuralex, and we were pretty busy that night, but I remember thinking, yeah, 
okay. Um, I don't know why it is that people who have the most money or are more successful feel more entitled to free things, but they wanted to get in for free, and I was like, sure, yeah, because G-Love and his band and the promoter, like, you know, as long as everybody's got IDs, and they all had IDs, but then they had this girl with them, and she didn't look 18, let alone 21. <laughs> and, you know, of course she didn't have an ID. So I was like, well, she can't come in. And all of a sudden, they went from being really nice to, I was all time. <laughs> Which, I stuck my ground, and, you know, they kept saying, well, where's Alan? And, you know, you know who this is? Gee, love. <laughs> you know, just let her in. And no, I wasn't going to do it. And I knew that if the cop showed up, it was my ass. I wasn't gonna risk it. I didn't want a ticket. I couldn't afford it. I was making 25 bucks a night. Um, so they ended up leaving, really mad, and you know I was gonna hear about it. I never heard about it. <laughs> uh, another time, Crispin Glover was doing a show there. He was doing a like spoken word performance with a slideshow, and then he was showing this really bizarre film that he made. And his uh, his demeanor and his personality is pretty much what you see when you see him in movies. He's that guy. And he's nice, but he's odd. And um, that same promoter that was with G-Love had oversold the venue. And it was way too crowded. Um, it's supposed to be an intimate setting. And it was just packed. And the guy kept saying, sell more tickets, let more people in. And I was like, you know, it's fire code is this, and I think we're over that. <laughs> and uh, I just keep selling. And Crispin Glover got really pissed and he started getting mad at me, and I'm like, hey, don't talk to me, talk to that guy, because that's the guy with the money. Um, one time, it was like a built to spill show, and it was, you know, those were the shows that brought the people out of the woodwork, and those were the ones that generally we had more people trying to, you know, either sneak in through the back door or using the fake IDs. And I'm working the door, and this one guy comes in, and I look at his ID and the date's right, but I noticed the name, and I know the name, and I know it's not that guy. But, you know, mistakenly, uh, you know, 2021 this time, I'm like, you know, that's probably because the other guy's not going to be here, so he probably let his brother use his ID or something, so yeah, you can come in. So I take his money, and about 15 minutes, 20 minutes later, <laughs> I, I see the other guy, and he comes trying to come in, and I'm like, you know, hey, we got a problem. Like, well, what's the problem? Like, well, you're already here. <laughs> what do you mean I'm already here? I'm like, I think you know what I mean. You're already here. And I'll give you five minutes, but I can only have one of you here. I can't have two of you here. And he accepted that that was a pretty reasonable compromise. <laughs> and pretty soon, there was only one of them. And it was the right one. Uh... I remember one time I had to, um, we had a, uh, a guy who did sound some of the time, but not all the time, and I think he was going through some personal problems and uh, like a divorce or something. I know he drank a lot, and usually when he did sound, he was drunk. And that's not too uncommon, but um, one time we had Sleater Kinney playing, and uh, they were trying to get the sound just right. They're doing their sound checks and they're trying to get it down and they're getting all this feedback and they're getting pissed off and he's grumbling and they're getting pissed off and he's grumbling and it's just kind of going on and he doesn't really give a shit. Um, 
Unfortunately, his mic was on though, and at one point they said something, and he said something, and called one of them a shit. And if you know anything about Sleater Kenny, that's probably the worst possible band to use that kind of phrase with. And um, we almost had a riot on our hands because they weren't going to play, and everybody else knew what was going on, and they wanted their money back. And uh, Grant Olson stepped in and didn't know a thing about doing sound, but he got up there and he made it work, and everybody was happy. And I thanked him so much because we almost had a riot on our hands. Um, one thing. I think pretty much everybody who works in bars, not just doormen, not just bouncers, not just bartenders, or everybody, probably the cleaning people the most, they have to deal with vomit. I remember one night I was sitting up in Frank's Perch, and it was a quiet night, there wasn't much going on, and uh, this one guy who's about my age, um, we're both 21 at that point, uh, he been there for a few hours probably, and uh, I see him making a beeline for the door, and I'm like, oh, buddy, oh, buddy, I hope you make it. I'm pulling for you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. And he was so close. I don't know if he was headed for the gutter. But Neurolux has this glass door, right? And I'm about as far away as you in the hat. And he just stops and launches into that glass, and it just... It was something to behold. <laughs> it was awful though. And I went from being the door guy to the janitor real fast because if I didn't clean it up, I was gonna have to smell it all night. So, and nobody was gonna wanna come in. So, it was right there at the front. Um, that was the nastiest thing. Uh, all in all, it was, it was really great. I got to see some bands that I never would have been able to, well, I would have stood outside and watched them through the glass. Which I told the kids that were out there that it, sometimes it sounded better out there than it did inside, but they never believed me, ever. Um, some of the bands weren't that good, and I kind of wish they didn't work there those nights. Uh, I remember there was a Doors cover band that was really bad. Uh, I probably saw Roger Music more times than I ever needed to. Um, but overall, it was a really, really great experience, and I, I learned quite a bit from it. That's it. All right. Thank you, Ambrose. You're listening to Bouncer Stories as part of Storyfort 2017, March 22nd. This is Stray Theater. We'll be right back. Programming for Radio Boise comes from listeners like you and Rediscovered Books, a new and used bookstore located at 180 North 8th Street in downtown Boise. Rediscovered Books is proud to be locally owned. Their mission is to share their knowledge and passion for books and to help nurture Boise's growing literary community. You can learn more at rdbooks.org. Rediscovered Books, where books and people meet. Radio Boise is supported in part by Story Story Night, wrapping up their flagship season at Jump on April 25th. Inspired by the theme hike, Jody Eichelberger will host three featured storytellers intermixed with an open story slam, plus the premiere of a mini musical adaptation of a Story Story Night slam. Tickets and more are available at storystorynight.org. 
So hello, um, I'm Sam and I was a drawer guy. That might sound a little strange. Um, it often gets met with like, wait, you were a door person? <laughs> yes, yes I was. Um, so it was a while ago and back then it wasn't quite the same thing as it is now. I think it would be a little weirder now to see a girl working the door, but at Mulligan's back then, um, it wasn't a strange thing. In fact, I took over for the door girl when she left. Um, so I started the job kind of like Ambrose when I was newly 21. Um, so uh, when I was in there, I used to go there about three days a week and play pool. So since I was a regular, when I knew the door girl was leaving, I pestered and pestered and pestered and bitched and moaned and complained until I got the job. Um, and Happy also was working there at that time, bartending, so just to date him a little bit, old AF. Um, so also dating myself here a bit. So when I was the door guy at Mulligan's, um, it was a beer and wine bar. So uh, people generally went there to just play pool, right? I know, Mulligan's just beer and wine. Great, great. Um, so people went there really mostly to play pool and eat greasy food. Um, back then the kitchen was also super duper gross. Like little tiny closet and the bartenders were the ones who did the cooking. So if your burgers were gross, you can blame Happy. Um, so we had a lot of regulars at that time. The crowd wasn't particularly rowdy. So, um, you know, a lot of times people think about the door guy and kicking people out. Um, I didn't really have to do a lot of that. I mean, it happened, but not very often. So uh, my bit here is gonna be a little bit more about what I noticed about people as they came in the door. Um, really interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, the people that um, I, I knew there were really great because it was a regular place. I was a regular there, I knew everybody there for the most part, so it made my job really, really easy. Um, but the people I didn't know were the ones that lead to the stories that I have and the, the kind of interesting and sometimes challenging work of being a door guy. Um, so what I'm going to kind of give you here are sort of a few types of people that I noticed. Um, we like to categorize our patrons because it makes it easier for us to remember them. Like, oh yeah, you're that guy. <laughs> so, um, so bear with me here. Um, the first person is sort of the all business, no time to talk, right? <laughs> so the ABNTT barely, <laughs> barely makes eye contact, right? <laughs> kind of begrudgingly like hand you their ID, um, having pulled it out of their wallet or their purse ahead of time, right? Um, so rather than acknowledge, acknowledging that you exist, they kind of step a little bit in front of you, look around the bar, kind of getting their first steps ready, knowing what the layout is. Um, so, you know, their time that they spend with you at the door is a necessary inconvenience. You know that, they know that, but it's quick and easy, so it's great. Then there's the eager puppy. Um, the eager puppy is a person who's overly attentive to your instruction. Um, they want to please you. They'll have their IDs out and ready because they don't want to inconvenience you at all. Um, they like the, they're kind of like the seasoned travelers that go to the airport. You know, the ones that have their shoes and belts off before they even get in the front door. <laughs> That's the eager puppy. Um, so they'll greet you with a polite hello. They'll thank you for giving them your ID back and then they'll just GTFTW, right? Get out the way. They know you're busy. Um, they were the kind of customer that I really appreciated. I like to think of myself as like the eager puppy when I go in. It's like, yes, here you go. I, I, know, I know what I'm doing here. Done this, you're good. Um, then there's Captain Self-Important, right? Yeah, you guys know Captain Self-Important. 
pretty easily recognizable by the complete lack of preparedness to interact with you at all. Right? They don't have their ID anywhere to be found because they really just don't think that they should have to have their ID. They're going into a bar, right? Um, they don't think they should be getting carded in the first place. So you usually kind of have to like stop them as they're breezing through the door and say, hi, hi, hi. Yes, you. Can I, can I get your ID, please? Um, after the eye roll or the look of just like absolute shock and annoyance, um, they'll kind of inform you that maybe they come here all the time. Right? <laughs> Who are you to ask me for my ID? I come here all the time. Or my favorite, um, I know the owner. <laughs> so at Mulligan's, our owner was always, you know, her name is Alicia. So you always knew Captain Self-Important when he came in and said, um, I know Alicia. <laughs> Great, well, that's awesome. Tell Alicia I said hi. I'll let Alicia know that you stopped by here. <laughs> so thank you. Those are the kind of people, you know, you know that you have just mortally offended them by asking for their ID or for just not knowing who they are, right? Maybe you've never met me. Um, asking a second time to see those kinds of people's IDs feels really good. It's really nice. Then there's the hot mess, right? Have you guys ever been the hot mess? Yeah. So the hot mess is the totally unprepared, generally just a little bit too drunk kind of person, right? They're gonna bumble their way through the door, they'll stop to give you their ID, only to find out that they have no freaking clue where their ID is, right? You get a really long searching through the purse, sometimes it gets dumped out onto the bar, the counter, or the floor, shuffling through, someone searching every single pocket, only to find out that their ID was in the first place that they looked for it, right? So there's kind of a fine line with the hot mess, and you don't really know when or even if you're gonna cross it. So sometimes they're able to recognize that when the nice sober person at the door says, hi, you know what, maybe it's time to call it a night, you probably had enough, that maybe that's a good idea. Yeah? No. <laughs> and there's the ones who usually kind of just like make it their mission to prove you wrong. They're gonna show you every single way that they're not drunk. They're ready to do the field sobriety test for you if you were to ask them, right? They're like, I'm good, I'm good, I got this, like, good. Or, if that doesn't work, then they make it their life's mission to make you really sorry that you ever questioned them, right? Have you been that guy? I've been that guy. Pester the door guy until he finally just gets really sick of you and lets you in or kicks you out in a very, very bad way. Or she. Um, there's Mr. or Mr. Finger Guns, right? <laughs> so this person thinks that they're super charming, really funny. When you card them, they usually come out of the gate with like a really bad dad joke, right? Like, well, I'm only 16, but do you want to see my ID anyway? <laughs> so, you know, there's kind of an endearing quality to this person. Like, I like my dad. And I'm gonna laugh at his jokes no matter what. So, Mr. Finger Guns, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an obligatory chuckle. I'm gonna wait patiently until you finally do the thing that I asked you to do when you first came in, which is just give me your ID. Right. <laughs> so then there's another type of customer that I really notice being female. Um, that's the Chad. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> So you might have a, a code name for the kind of person that you just, they're just unbearable, right? They're really terrible. 
They're the kind of person that you ask your friend to save you from when you get stuck in a conversation. So mine is a Chad, and if your name is Chad, I'm really sorry, it's a me thing, it's not you. So the Chads I interacted like were, or interacted with were kind of like the Mr. Finger Guns on crack, right? Just really trying so hard. Um, generally kind of was like an incessant slew of really, really, really bad pickup lines. Um, and, you know, a clear inability to recognize when their welcome had been worn out, which in, this, in those cases was really quick. <laughs> Five seconds with a chat and you're done. So I got a lot of unsolicited comments about things like my age or my appearance. So, you know, I am very youthful, as you've noticed, and being as old as I am, shut up, happy. Yeah. Being as old as I am, you can only imagine I looked about 12 when I was 21. So um, really easy to comment on that kind of stuff. So I got a lot of really, um, great comments. So stuff like, are you even old enough to be in here? Like, yeah. Yes, I am. I wouldn't be working here, right? Um, or, you're too pretty to be a bouncer. That's adorable. Yeah, isn't that so cute? I loved that one. It just made me feel so great. Um, there's also the, uh, do you have your ID? Like, yes, oh, I do have my ID because I'm in a bar. <laughs> so, of course, I have my ID. But thank you so much for asking. Right? <laughs> or there's even the creepier version, right? Like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Somehow that's okay. We all know this guy, yeah. So don't be that guy at the, at the bar. And I'm sure that there are female chads as well. Um, but this was just something that I was hyper aware of being being a female at the bar. So then there were like the even creepier comments, right? Like stuff like, so what if I don't have my ID? What are you going to do with me? Oh, kick you out? <laughs> right, let me name the things that I'll do with you, sir. Um, or, you know, if I don't have my ID, are you going to frisk me? Well, it's not really how this works. So no. And also no. Um, and then even the possibility of being kicked out of the bar somehow becomes sexualized, right? Like, well, maybe I should start some, so you'll have to kick me out. Like, maybe you should. <laughs> really make my night. And oh, by the way, the guy that just came in before you and told me I should smile more often, he's about to see it if you keep going. <laughs> and then the, uh, you know, maybe if I get in trouble, are you going to kick my ass? Like, yes. Yes, I will. <laughs> right, like super gross, right? Just gross. It was amazing to me the kinds of things that people felt comfortable saying to a complete stranger. And especially one who could like really end your night really quickly, right? Like, but apparently in some circles, that's charm. So there you go. <laughs> Congratulations, Chad, you're charming. Charming Chad. Charming Chad. So, um, you know, after my time as a door guy, um, like Christian said, I moved into a couple of different jobs at Mulligan's. I think I've done all of them. Um, I cocktailed for a bit, I barbacked, I bartended, I still bartend there, here and there. Um, and there's kind of different interactions that you get depending on your position. Um, one thing really, really holds, no matter what you do and sort of where you do it, but specifically like the bar scene. So dealing with people requires a certain mindset and it can be really, really hard not to take things personally. Um, there were a lot of nights when I first started working the door that I went home just thinking, like, people are sh Like, why, God, why do I have to deal with this stuff? Um, so you have to build up a pretty thick skin, but you also have to know how to call people out when it's necessary, right? Like, we're educators. 
in the bar industry. I'm an educator by day and I'm an educator by night, right? Like, I teach people how to not be society to people that that are working hard. How to not barf on the front door when Ambrose is the poor guy that has to clean it up. So it's kind of funny, like the, the question that I get most often about working the door as a female is if I ever worried about getting hurt, right? Like, oh my gosh, you're like this tiny girl. Did you ever worry that someone was gonna just beat you up? Um, and in all of my time working on bar, working in bars, I can honestly say I've never felt afraid for my physical safety. So there's something that's a little bit different in the way that people react. Right? Some people are really heated up. A really drunk guy, even really drunk, is generally going to recognize a woman, right? And is probably gonna think twice before he hits her or, or you know, stumbles over her. Um, it, there's a weird difference between uh, sort of the restraint that comes from, uh, that comes about when it comes to violent contact with a woman that just doesn't really seem to be there when it comes to respecting personal boundaries, right? Like that, that whole fighting thing was the least of my concerns. So, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, like I would take a come at me bro any day before I would take an aggressive chat. So moral of this story, don't be that guy at the bar. <laughs> swing by Tri Tachyon. This has been another episode of Stray Theater. Thanks for tuning in.